In a world where addiction continues to explode, tonight we talk to one of the victims that's often forgotten about. Here on Newsworthy, two words and two question marks. Why should you work with Ed Locke? A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is a proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things, but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Ed Locke at area code 502 960 NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks Jerry, how are you tonight, man? Hello, Mr. Steve. I'm great. Yourself? Well, I'm okay. <laughs> I wish we had a a much happier, more wonderful topic tonight to work through, well, but we do not. I don't. Uh, it, it's not fun to do, but I think some of these sad, depressing topics are extremely necessary. So from that sense, I mean, I certainly understand what you're saying. It's... Yeah, not happy. It's not positive. It's not fun to think about. But it's one of those things that needs to be talked about. Now, again, for those that don't, uh, that are new to us, Newsworthy started off predominantly news related. We made yeah. a switch a few weeks ago to the macabre, the cults, the mass murders, the Bigfoots, the all those things. Tonight we're doing, uh, we're going back a little bit. We're, we're doing a, a show primarily because we promised this young lady that we would do it and yep. felt that we needed to. We also felt that it's extremely important to do it. Especially, as, as the teaser said, our nation, and quite frankly, our world, is going down a path with addiction that is astronomical. Since COVID especially, the numbers have just exploded. Um, and there's so many things out there in so many different ways 
that people try to use as an escape that they become very addicted to, and it destroys not only their life, but their entire family's lives. Um, So we felt like this was a good opportunity. You know, in addition, yes, we... We had asked to have this 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 young lady on as a guest before, and we had technical issue. And then we'd get her up, and we'd get on, and we'd have a technical issue. And Which then, is a big part of the reason we switched from Podbean to Libsyn was yeah, to exactly. be able to have so, guest. So we're going to get through all that, but you know, I, Jerry, I, I I do have to say, did you did you see the news? Uh, the the other day where the two guys broke into the store and stole a calendar. Stole a calendar. No, I missed that. Man, they both got six months. Six months. <laughs> six months for a calendar. That That's rough now, isn't it? Well, we need to start throwing the books at some of these uh, people that commit the bad crimes, not the guys stealing the calendar. You know, I decided for my dad joke, since we have moved away from at least this one week, we've moved away from our macabre theme. That at least my dad joke could be more macabre. Oh, theme. really? Yeah, I did. So Ooh. here's mine. I was at the cemetery the other day. When I left, I saw that I had three missed calls and ten unread texts. Wow. Guess I was in a dead zone. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's a good one right there, no. Very I, appropriate. I actually really like that. <laughs> I don't know why I really like that. I do. That's kind of like uh, the old the old saying. You know why cemeteries have fences, right? Why people are just dying to get yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> do cemeteries bother you? No, not at all. Me neither. Not at all. Now that being said. Uh, my daughter used to live in a house that was right by the oldest cemetery in my hometown. Okay. And uh, some of the headstones in that cemetery were from the late 1700s. I mean, we're going way back. Right. And uh, that was a creepy place after dark. Just the way the river was close to that area, and the, you would it would always have like a a mist about it. Well, that leads me to my question that I was trying to get to before. Uh, Halloween night. Do you have any problem you and I go and spend a couple hours there after that? Absolutely not. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. That or we may instead go to a local place here in town that uh, we'll introduce later as well. We got that confirmed just the other day. We're going to have an amazing guest, October 1st. Um, Really excited. If you like uh, haunted places, um, by far one of the most haunted places you've never heard of in in the state of Kentucky. Uh, And we're talking, you know, everybody's heard of Waverly. All over half of the eastern United States has heard of the Waverly Sanatorium up in uh, Louisville. But that's just a big, scary building. What's happened in the building right here in our hometown, our current hometown, is real stuff. And we're going to have a guest in that uh, is going to blow your mind. Yeah, Yeah, he he directs the tours. He's seen the things. He's done the the deeds. So we're stoked by that. And and we can't wait for October. It's not October 1st. It's actually... Our October fourth episode. So stoked by that. But all that is coming up. Let's get back to the issue at hand. 
um, which basically is is all about drugs and how prolific and how destructive and how miserable it only makes the drug user but everyone around with hopefully a little light at the end of the tunnel hopefully but it's a huge problem you're absolutely right i remember when uh who was the first president do you remember to really talk about it It was probably nixon right wasn't he the one that declared the war on drugs i think oh no i think that was i think that was reagan no, no, no. It was Nancy, Reagan. Nancy, the war Nancy on drugs, Reagan. Google it. The war on drugs no. started in 1971. Oh. That's before Reagan. Reagan went wow. in office in 1980. So the war on drugs precedes him by several years. But the reason I brought that up was simply this. Back in the 60s and 70s, probably going back to the 50s, we thought we had a huge problem with drugs. What would they think now? It's grown to astronomical heights. Did you find when it was the war on drugs was started? Uh, 1971. Uh, 52 years, two months, and one week ago. I remembered that because there's an article that I was reading that came out in June. Actually, the war on drugs started in June of 71. Uh, the article that I read came out in June of 2021. And it was talking about that it had just hit the 50-year anniversary. But the only reason I was bringing that up was saying that, again, as bad as they thought in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, as bad as they thought it was, and it was. It was horrible. I'm not trying to detract from that. But we have gotten to a point now where it is just absolutely enormous. You and I were talking. It is now to the point that you would be hard-pressed to find a family in America that hasn't been affected in some way by drug use in the epidemic, whether or, it's yeah, or knows a family that's yeah, been yeah, exactly. It yeah. doesn't have to be a direct, but if you could find some family that can honestly say, "I've, you know, it hasn't affected me at all," you're one of the extremely few lucky families in America. So let's let's talk about drugs and just how how I guess the 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 best thing to do is what's the definition of a drug. And just by the most basic definition of the drug, it is anything that changes the way the brain op- operates in and of its environment. It is about as basic as you can get. Yep. Caffeine is a drug. Sugar is a drug. Tobacco. Uh, tobacco is a drug. Is a drug. Um, so, um, you know, most of those I use every day. <laughs> You know, caffeine. I use sure. caffeine every day. I'm really trying to break the sugar habit. But my gosh, that is probably uh, uh, that is definitely one of the hardest drugs to break. I'm not gonna lie. I used to smoke. Me and you both did. We both Never quit. Did. Um, very, very difficult to do that as well. Uh, but you know, it, it just is what it is. So. What are some things, Jerry, that you think might affect drug use? Some reasons to become. Sure, you're asking? sure. I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, they say that part of it is genetic. Yep. And I'm sure that that's true. I always felt that I had a pretty high... Uh, 
aptitude to become drug addicted, which is why I was during college. I'm, I messed around with marijuana a time or two, and I'm talking, you know, barely got high. That was extent to the entire extent of my drug experience. Never did anything else, and it was primarily because I was afraid that I already knew by that time that I was addicted to tobacco. And I thought, you know what, if I have an addictive personality, the last thing in the world I need to start doing is messing around with some of this crap because I know sure. where that's going to end up. Right. Uh, but I'm sure there's many things. I'm sure it's going to be what you're exposed to, the people. You and I have talked a lot. I think a couple of weeks ago you mentioned about it. If parents want to know what their kid is like, look at their friends. Yeah. And to a large extent, that will be true. So it's going to be a matter of who you're around, the the experiences that you've had in life, genetics. There's a lot of things that, that certainly could lead to it. Sure. According to the addiction group, the top six factors for that affect drug use are number one, family history, um, addiction and addictive, not addiction of substance, but addictive personality is hereditary. Um, you know, drugs are drug addiction is more common in families that have other drug addicts. Yep. I mean, it's a known fact. If you have a parent or sibling that abuses, chances are you're going to abuse. Seems so unfair, doesn't it? It does. Uh, the number two reason, mental health history. And, we could talk on here for the next 52 weeks, all day, every day, about mental health issues in the United States, and we're just scratching the surface. Sure. There's just not enough mental health facilities and, and abilities to to heal in, in the United States. Number three is the one you just mentioned, peer pressure. Um, if your friends uh, are doing, they're going to try to peer, you know, you want to be cool, you want to be fit in, you want to, you know... And peer pressure is compounded by the next one, which is lack of family involvement, a strong family. You know, someone is not nearly as pressured into that if they have a strong family structure at home, I believe. Um, and if you start by taking a highly, a highly addictive drug, if you start with caffeine or whatever or marijuana, it's going to be a much slower process than the first time you, you inject heroin into your vein. So sure. uh, accessibility is the other thing. What do you think the number one drug in America is? Uh, by what? Number one most used? Most used. Illegal drug? Nope, not necessarily. Just drug. Sure. Huh? Sugar. Well, sugar is still not as much as it should be, not classified as a drug. Um, then probably Can you alcohol imagine? or tobacco. Nicotine. Yeah. Uh, 14% of U.S. adults in 2019, four, this stat just blows me away. Just absolutely blows me away. In 2019, 14% of United States adults still smoke. That's 34.1 million people. I always thought way more than that drank. Um, alcohol it was number be. two. And here's the thing. In the U.S., over 85% of people over 18 reported to drinking at some point in their life. But they are not equating to having a drink to being an alcoholic. And there's the difference. And tobacco is you don't do it. You don't just do it. Whichever two or three right. weeks. You right. do it 14 times a day. Right. 14, 11 times a day. So uh, that gotcha. would be the main difference there. 
Anywho, uh, so alcohol is number two, marijuana is number three. Marijuana is on the fast track to be an illegal drug very soon, I think, across the 50 states. Um, By the way, I saw a survey. Gallup poll, I do believe. Yes, in a Gallup poll in 2021, 68% of Americans said that marijuana should be made legal. Two-thirds. Yeah, yeah. it's just a matter of time. And marijuana actually has the the one distinction for all of its negatives. It does have a lot of positives. It does do a lot of positive things. I don't know where you fall on that line. Um, you and I have had <laughs> many, many conversations about, you know, drugs and stuff. Number four is painkillers being illegally used. Um, you know, Lots of people are prescribed painkillers for real pain, but this particular number is based on using painkillers for an inappropriate level of pain. Basically, if you have a headache, you use a hydrocodone as opposed to a Tylenol. <laughs> By the way, until uh, I think it was 2003, 2004, um, prescription opiate use was the number one killer. Yeah, of drug, of, of drug overdoses. So for many years, that was far and away. <clears throat> and I'm sure that number has, as as they've cracked down on the pill mills, that number has switched to opium and, and fit or not opium, heroin and fentanyl. And yes, absolutely. It went to heroin and then it is now fentanyl. Yeah, yeah. So number five, which kind of blows me away, in 2019, cocaine. Cocaine's not cheap. But they're also including crack into this, right. so that is cheap. So, crack in, in 2019, cocaine was ahead of heroin, but not by much. Number six is heroin. Number seven is, I don't know even how to say that, <laughs> benzodiazepines. Benzos. Call it benzos. Benzos. Stimulants yeah. are eight, inhalants are nine, barbiturates are ten. So, that's kind of the way they are out there. Um, as far as the most addicted, addictive drugs, first time use is what they're basing this on. Heroin, cocaine, nicotine, barbiturates, and alcohol. Um, I figured fentanyl would have made that list. Well, in 2019, fentanyl, this, this is based on 2019. Fentanyl was way down No, it was big in 2019. Mm. Fentanyl started in, uh. In 2013, the popularity of illicit synthetic opiate use, with fentanyl being the number one, led to the third wave of... The, the researchers say that there's been three waves of drug crisis. The original, as we talked about, was the uh, prescription opiates. Second was heroin. And now it is the synthetic opiates, which man-made chemical fentanyl. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, Along those same lines, as far as drug overdoses that yeah. resulted in deaths, as we said, it started with prescription opiates and being the number one killer. And somewhere um, along the line, it changed in, in the mid-2000s to heroin use. And by 2000, let me see, in 2013, it's when synthetic opiate use became popular. By 2016, it was killing more people than any other drug in America. Wow. Between 2016 and today, or between 2016 and 2021, 
it more than doubles the number of drug overdose deaths than all the other drugs combined. Holy buckets. So that, you know, it gives you a perspective into how dangerous this stuff is. It's crazy. I just, I don't, well, I know that uh, we we have a guest that's upcoming. Uh, I think that they are about ready to come on with us here. So we're going to cut this part short. We'll come back and join you and just talk about some other things right after our interview. To continue our conversation about drugs and the family dynamic, we bring in with us tonight Ann, who has grown up in a, dr- in a home with a drug-addicted parent. Welcome to being our guest, Ann. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, now, this is... We, we recently switched our, our, our programming, oh, but we have... You know, we had communicated with you previous when we were doing a different version of Newsworthy and promised to get you on. And we feel like this is a very important topic and genre busting, if you will, because there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with this issue. And we appreciate having you on very much. Absolutely. Especially for a topic that is so tough for so many people to talk about. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We know this has got to be kind of hard now. We're going to go back in time quite a bit. You are grown now, married, got got a house full of children, and, and that's all great. But we're going to go back to when it wasn't so great. And uh, yeah. um, before we get started, um, you mentioned to us that you listen to our show and you know the format. So do you have anything for us? Yeah, I just wanted to tell you guys that my life's decisions and what I went through, it it made me believe that I'm going to start investing in stocks. Investing in stocks? Yes. And the stocks that I'm going to invest in are chicken, beef, and vegetable. And I'm hoping to be a billionaire one day. Yep, she listens to us. <laughs> She's got those cringeworthy dad jokes down far better than you or I. A bullion. Remember our email, newsworthy with Stephen Jerry at gmail.com. Do me a favor, start sending me some. Yours is That was wonderful. Marvelous, marvelous. I like it. I like it when we get feedback and people actually listen to the show and send us or come on and tell us dad jokes. That's fantastic. I mean, it's it's the best way to start off a topic. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get into it. Um, How back when you were young, I guess the question is, at what age did you understand that and this was it your mom in this case yes um when when you're what at what age did you understand that mom has an issue um i vaguely remember a lot of my childhood and i think it's because my brain has wanted me to forget the worst things that happened and like they come to me piece by piece um the first solid thing t- 
time that I actually realized something was wrong was when I'm, it was like right after Christmas and I was like 10 years old and her and her boyfriend at the time were arguing. He had come home drunk and I was, I said I was 10, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so it was maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. I was in a nightgown and I hear screaming and yelling from my bedroom. And it turns out that she had been hit in the head with a metal pipe and mm. our phone line had been cut from the wall. And I was told that I needed to get up and go find someone to let me use their phone to call 911. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, that definitely would lead you to believe that something was wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, That kind of, like, started the snowball effect with everything else. Sure. Now... At ten, you had this this terrible thing, you know, with the domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Did did you know at that point that you know, hey, mom's doing X or mom's doing you know Y or? No, not at that point. No, um, they fought like that off and on. Um, after that night, I remember my grandmother had come to pick me up from the hospital where the ambulance had taken her um, and she just seemed off the next couple of days. Like she just kind of looked strung out, which I mean, at 10, I didn't know exactly what that was, but she just looked a lot different. Like she looked feral. If that makes any sense. Well, makes perfect sense. Unfortunately. Um. And she threatened to have my grandmother arrested for kidnapping because she was going to take me with her out of state back to her house because she like almost secondhand witnessed everything. Like she wasn't there, but she knew from what the police had told her and all that. And if she had gone across state lines, then it would have been considered kidnapping. But, um, but that's like seeing the way she acted when she went to pick me up from my aunt's house where my mamma was staying was kind of like it was an eye opener for me because I believe that she was the victim, you know, a couple of days before. And then she acted the way she did. Like feral, like a angry mountain lion (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know how to explain that part but like i said it was like the the snowball effect like you know how they say like pay your debts off the snowball effect start small and then get bigger as you go down that that's so what was the next time that you know fast forward just a little bit when you're 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 unfortunately growing in this knowledge that there's something wrong. Um, When is the next time you're like, oh, normal people don't do that. Yeah. um, 
there was a lock-in, and this was probably a few months after that had happened. There was a lock-in at my elementary school, and they if you lived in the neighborhood across the street from the school, you could walk there, but your parent had to pick you up the next day. And she she was perfectly fine the day that I went to the walk the lock-in where we stayed all night, watched movies. The teachers were there, obviously. Um, and I was only in fifth grade. But she was perfectly fine that day. And when I, it was time for her to come pick me up, like, her eyes were kind of droopy. It seemed to me at the time like she was drunk. Oh, wow. But there was no alcohol smell. So I, I knew like it wasn't alcohol because you, you can smell alcohol on someone who's been right. drinking. Um, the next time after that, I was, I stayed the night with a friend in the neighborhood that we lived in, like right down a block or two away. And I came home the next day and I made sure I was an only kid with her. I made sure that my room was always clean because who's going to mess it up other than myself. And before I had stayed the night at my friend's house, I made sure my room was cleaned, stayed the night with my friend, came home, and I found her completely trashed my room. And she was passed out in the floor, completely naked. Oh, wow. How old were you then? I was still 10. Oh, geez. <laughs> That's a big thing to see uh, when you're 10. It's, it's even worse when you see feminine products sticking out, too. So, like, that yeah. that's one thing. Like, I, as much as I want to forget that happening, like, I can't. Yeah. Did she even try to explain or come up with a reason for any of this? No. No, just left no. you to deal with it. Pretty much. I mean, there were a lot of days where I would cook myself like plain noodles and butter for dinner. And it just gradually got worse after that. Like she would sell the food stamps. She lost her job at one point, um, then got food stamps and my grandmother would help as much as she could. She would buy me clothes, made sure... I wasn't withering away to nothing, would give me stuff for Christmas, my birthday, but the food stamps wouldn't go to food. Yeah. I mean, there's always ways to go around oh, sure. selling them and getting them for money for more drugs. Well, so where was dad during this? Honestly, I don't know because it wasn't until a few years ago that I found out that it wasn't his fault that he never saw me. It was actually her. So I I don't exactly know. She wouldn't let me see him. Yeah. That'd be tough. 
So yeah. Jerry Jerry took well my questions. When as 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 she got progressively worse and you got older as we do, did she start to try to hide this from you at all? I think she would try. Um but it's just like I'd pretty much grown up around it, so I knew I knew what to look for. Like I could walk down the street now and be like that person is on something. That person is on something. Like after you're around something for so long, you can just kind of pick up on the incredibly subtle clues that people are trying to hide something and it just doesn't get past you. Sure. So at 10, 11, 12, 13, how would you would you ever have guests over, you know, like sleepovers at your place? Did you ever get the opportunity to go sleep over at other people's places? How did, I, how did I, that work? Like, I've rarely ever invited a friend over, especially in middle school. I had one friend that I had stay the night with me, and, like, she was probably my absolute best friend. And to this day, we could, we haven't spoken to each other in 15 years, but if we saw each other, we could probably pick it right back up to where we left off. But, um, if I did want to have a friend to come over, I would be responsible for cleaning the entire house. Um, her boyfriend worked at a pizza place. And so, for about three months while he worked there, the only thing we ate was pizza. And if there were dirty dishes, I had to do them, even though I ate at school. I never ate at home because there wasn't ever really anything to eat at home. Um, I mean, there would be cigarette ashes everywhere. Everything was dirty. It just it smelled bad. And the only... I would never really come out of my room. I would, if I did, I would just go to other friends' houses. Like I, I didn't want to be home. I couldn't call it home. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be as far away from that as I possibly could. Sure. So as you have grown and you know, you're now an adult. You have your own children. You, you've you've successfully moved past that. Um, how has your per- perception of addiction either enhanced, changed? Um, I mean, you went through it without going through it. You went through it by the person who's supposed to be taking care of you, the person who's supposed to be giving you nurturing and, and love. Mm-hmm. And they were more convinced that drugs were more important than you or anything else. How has your perception of addiction changed as you've gotten older? I would say it's gotten. I'm very opinion opinionated about it. If someone were to ask me like my views on the needle exchange program, I would say it's stupid. Uh, 
if someone were to ask me about the accessibility to Narcan, I would also say it's stupid. I, I thoroughly do not believe that addiction is a disease. I feel like it's a life choice. And some people just can't make the decision to stop. I know it's scientifically proven that addiction is a disease, but deep down in my heart, I don't believe that. Um, I would just say, like, I have I have pretty hard views on it. Sure. Well, you have the of all the people in the world, you kind of have the right to do that. Those those are yeah. <laughs> you earned that. <laughs> yeah, like. I mean, there are still other circumstances that I think of when, and it's just like, I'll just randomly be like doing the dishes and be like, oh, that happened. What yeah. What the heck? Like, why am I just remembering this now as I'm doing dishes? It's, and it's, it is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, it's kind of heart wrenching. And I, I also, I'm not a fan of the fact that there are, so many known, I guess not necessarily known, but there are like so many advertised addiction helplines, but you don't see any for the families sure. who are affected by the ones who are addicted. Right. Like, and there's a stat out there that, and Jerry, you may have this, um, or we may have may talk about it shortly. That almost I, I can't say the number. I don't want to say the number. But most American families, in some form, fashion, if not have been directly affected, know a family that has. That's oh, how I'd prevalent say that would it is. be. One hundred percent. Yeah, and I would say it would be extremely high as far as the percentage that has been directly affected. Yeah. Question for you, Ann. Yes. You mentioned about washing dishes and suddenly a thought coming to you. Does that still happen? It does. That alone would have to be scary. It it uh, is almost like when will this ever end? Right. Like another question for you. I remember reading that many parents feel extremely guilty after they realize that their own child has suffered from the parents' drug use, which just makes the parent in many cases want to use even more. Uh and, and it quickly becomes a cycle that they almost can't seem to break. I guess my question is, do you ever feel, or at the time, did you ever feel that she was remorseful for what she was exposing you to? Not at all. Um, she, when I was in high school, and, you know, every kid experiments with something be it high school, college, or whatever. Sure. Um, I experimented with, you know, marijuana quite a bit. Um, and that was sort of an escape for me. Um, it was like, it would kind of let my mind go just not exactly numb, but it would help ease everything that I was feeling and she would actually have me get her that. Um, there have been 
tons of circumstances where I've caught her snorting medication. And I was like, why are you doing that? You're not taking that like it says to on the bottle. And she said, it just says to take it. It doesn't say how I'm supposed to take it. (laughs) So I can take it however I want to take it. I was like, okay, then. Um, And then she would not do it in front of me, but she would have her plates that she crushed her meds on underneath of the couches, her bed, like they were easily accessible. Yeah. Like had I wanted to, I probably could have gotten my hands on an incredibly deadly dose of Klonopin, methadone and whatever else she was on and ended everything. And there's a couple of times where, I did. I did try because I was tired of living the way that I was living. So sad. We have uh, um, that in common. You know, when people are crushing pills, there's there's always that uh, paraphernalia that's laying around. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the thing that I would always find when I was um, in a relationship with someone who was addicted was the ink pens that had the guts taken out of them, and they would oh, use yeah. as, a, as a straw, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a telltale sign. Man, that just... When you love somebody and you care about them, and you find that, it just... Up until a certain point, it breaks your heart every time. Yep. And then you get to that certain point, and you're like, well, uh, okay, this is my sign. This is my... I'm done. I'm, I'm happy yeah. at it. So... Is it a situation that uh, your parent was probably hooked on the pills and then the pill mills got shut down by the state, which they all did, uh, and they switched into something else to to get that same type high? Is, is that what you think happened? No. I think or it they was... they just did it all to... <laughs> I think they just did it all. Um, yeah. To be honest, she was with, like, the... I guess kingpin you could say um, of my hometown. Sure. And so she had easy access to just about anything she wanted. Oh wow. And I was told once or twice in high school that she was smoking crack, which I didn't believe I got mad because I always, thought of her as the victim because she was in this abusive relationship. And I told her once, I think I was 16. I was like, it's either him or me because I can't do this anymore. And she's stuck with him. And I went to go live with a friend. Wow. So, so I mean, oh, go ahead. I was going to say like most of my teenage life, I wasn't even living with her or a parent. And I had one opportunity to live with my dad and where she kept us apart for so long. It was just, it was a strained relationship, you know, like it was probably a stranger. Yeah. That, but it was just like, I wanted to be everything I possibly could good. But at the same time, like I felt like I was abandoning her. 
and mm-hmm. that she, I was the only family she had left because my, at this point, my grandparents had passed away and I felt guilty. I mean, even one of my friends, when I was in middle school, their parents wanted to adopt me and she said, no. <laughs> so two quick questions and I'll let you get back to the rest of your life. Okay. Um, do you have or anticipate having a relationship with with your parent, your mom? Absolutely not. Okay. I she hit that breaking point that you were talking about uh, about six years ago, and I haven't spoken to her since. Oh wow! And from what I hear through the grapevine is that she looks she's fifty. I think now, but she looks like she's about 75, 80 oh, years wow. old. So yeah, I, I just, she tries to leave me voicemails on my birthday and Christmas and tell me that she's sobered up and clean, but I don't believe that. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. it's just, it's in my best interest and my family's best interest to not even entertain the idea. Well, absolutely. I will say that, you know, having uh, relationships with people throughout my life, there are circumstances where recovery does work. Um, Mm -hmm. And if a person is in the throes of addiction with the right help and the right attitude, they can recover and become whole again. So don't ever give up all your hope. But um, you have to do what's right for you and for your family, certainly. Um, exactly. So my last question is you've, you've been through it. You've overcome it. You have a, a wonderful home now. If you were talking to 10-year-old Kylie, if you were talking to all the kids out there who are currently going through this, what, what advice, if any, would you have for them? Get help. Talk to an adult who absolutely has your best interest at heart and only wants to see you succeed in life. And see a therapist because I still haven't seen one (laughs) and I probably should. But don't, don't let yourself get down in that rabbit hole and show them that you can be successful with or without them awesome. because it's 100% true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jerry, do you have anything else? It's so normal for children to internalize problems in their life. In other words, it, it's very normal for kids to think this is my fault. Yeah. From a young age, kids believe they're the center of the universe. They're the reason that everything around them happens. So they believe that as they grow older, that begins to go away a little bit. But but to a large extent, they believe that things are that they are directly the they are directly the cause of the things that are going on. I can only imagine when Anne was talking about. She felt like she couldn't leave because she would leave her mom alone. The, the, the guilt, the responsibility, 
the load that is put on these young children has to be enormous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely enormous. Well, and we appreciate you coming on and being willing to be so open with this and hopefully getting the message out there. If you uh, are a parent who is in the throes of addiction, uh, listen to Ann's story. This is what your child is, is screaming to you. Um, get help. There are great treatment facilities out there. If you're a child, like Ann says, Find somebody, a teacher, uh, a principal, a counselor, uh, a basketball coach, whoever um, that you trust as an adult, um, get with them and and use them as as your linchpin to get away from this. Uh, We're going to cover some stats here in just a minute about how many children are nationwide in foster care currently because opioid addiction. Um, in Kentucky, that number is well above the 9,000 mark. Uh, it's real, but, you know, foster care, I believe, is better than growing up in a situation where you, you may walk in and find your parent dead from an OD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't, uh, I can't phantom that. So, Ann, we appreciate you very much. And... Uh, if you ever want to call back in and have a chit chat with us here at Newsworthy, please do so. Well, if you guys Especially. ever have any other questions, oh, absolutely, feel free to hit me up. Awesome, we, we appreciate you very much. You Thank have you an awesome day. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Bye bye. Bye. So, anywho, we're as we continue, just want to throw out some stats, Jerry, in, in Kentucky in particular. Um, which is where we live. Right. One of the smaller population-based states in the United States. How many youth do you think is in foster care because of drugs? Oh, I don't know. I'd be afraid to even guess at that. 9,000. Over 9,000 kids in the state of Isn't Kentucky are in foster care because of drug abuse. And I'm sure the number is probably larger because... They don't usually take them out because of drug use. They take them out because the drug use leads to neglect, leads to mistreatment, leads to not being fed, leads to a multitude of things. So I'm sure if you went back and looked at, you know, what led to these, many times they're probably putting down that the children were taken out because they're being neglected. Yeah. Many times the neglect is from the drug use. As someone who used to do foster care, I would say... Out of all the foster children we had, all but one was drug-related. And that, I mean, that's... So sad. That's crazy. The only innocent people usually suffer the most. And this yeah. is a case of that being exactly the case. Exactly. So, um, Jerry, if someone was in a situation where... what, what are, Do we have U.S. numbers? I do have a couple. Um, as far as number of kids in the United States in right. foster care? First of all, approximately 20%, one in five children in the U.S. live in a home with a parent who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. So roughly 20%. Now, you specifically ask about children that are being removed and put into foster care. Uh, according to a study that I read that was government study, in 2020, 
Parental alcohol or drug abuse was listed as an identified reason for removal in 39% of children who were going into foster care. Holy 39%. Wow. Oh, by the way, for comparison's sake, in 2000, that number was 18.5%. During that same time period, other reasons for removal, primary reasons such as neglect and abuse, mainly declined. Wow. Sad. Very sad. So if if people want to reach out, and I'm friends with a, 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 a number of folks that work in recovery centers, and I just want to give a little hope at the end of this pretty dark episode. Sure. First of all, if the situation is right and the person is right um, and their attitude is right, drug addicts, can and do recover and go on to start to live normal lives again. Absolutely. Now, it's a hard road to hoe. It is. They have, by the time they hit rock bottom, have probably just about ruined any ties with anybody in their past from stealing or, or lying to or whatever the case may be. Right. So it is a... Very hard road to hope, and but there is hope. There is. That's the good news. It is possible. The right clinic, the right facility, the right attitude, the right, um, the right motivations. Yep. You know, it does happen. Um, yes, it does. According to one survey, USA survey on drug and health. Um. More now, this is going to be a little bit of hope for you. Now, this is from the United States National Drug uh, National Survey on Drug and Abuse. More than seventy five percent of people that are addicted to alcohol or drugs can and do recover. Their condition improves, and substance use no longer dominates their life. That's a lot of hope that are, that for the hopeless. You know, you see some of these videos and TikTok and Reels and all these YouTube, all these videos are showing Kingston Street down in, you know, St. Philadelphia and all these bad places where it's just zombie after zombie after zombie. Those people still have hope. They may not see it yet or they may not have hit the spot where they can see it. Or maybe they're beyond it. Doesn't but have to end there. You, as an individual, don't have to let it end there. Very um, true. Especially if you have family. If you have, at most, especially if you have children, get off this crap. Go do what you were called to do, and that's be a parent. You know, that's one hundred percent agree. Um, now, certainly, you would think would give them a lot more incentive to want to change. Now, to Jerry, yeah, exactly, and grandchildren. Jerry, you looked up and we found, we were looking for two different numbers. We were looking for a number for an advocate's group for for victims. victims, or And I was looking for a number for, for users. users. Same number kept coming up. Yep. What is that number, Jerry? The And it's ran by the National Organization for Victim Assistance. They have a program called Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration National Helpline. And that number is one 800 662 Help. 1-800-662-4357. You know, sometimes a phone call is the first step. Maybe that's all it takes. I don't know. But uh, 
if you're out there and you're looking for a whole uh, a, a way out, this number is the way out. It's at least the first step for victims and users. Yep. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. Hey, Jerry, do you like hugs? Oh, absolutely. How would you like to be hugged for 4,000 years? Not so much. Not so much? Well, in an archaeological site known as Laja, a Bronze Age site in the upper reaches of the Yellow River in western China, um. They have found just that. In fact, they found two sets of inter, intertwined skeletons. We'll get to that in a second. But the people of Lagia um, were, like most people in this area, it was their economy was based on millet production and sheep herding. They also experimented with some of the very first high-temperature-fired pottery, known as proto-porcelain. The world's oldest noodles were also discovered at this very same site all the way back in 2005. Back to the back to the hugging um, mother and child on both of these. One was sitting up, embracing her child, and they think from DNA that it was a mother and a son in both cases. Um, and the remains were dug up on the site that has now been bronze the pomp or had been branded the Pompeii of the East. Experts believe this site was hit by an earthquake and flooding of the Yellow River, but really aren't sure what the the mag- magnitude of this disaster was. Um, however, the catastrophe is thought to have wiped out the entire settlement, leading to the comparisons to Pompeii. Although this site, known as Lagia, is more than 2,000 years older than the Roman city. And Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light. 